Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, hello everyone and welcome back. We are in a series going through the book of Mark. And uh, last week we, we left Jesus as he was leaving the town of Capernaum to go around from town to town and preach the word of God and preach the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the, he had his first day of ministry in this, this little town on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. And it was the biggest, most successful day of ministry anybody has ever had. And then he, he kind of goes off by himself that next morning real early and prays. And as everybody starts pouring out in the morning to find Jesus because there are more people who need healing and more people who need help. Uh, Jesus is off by himself. His disciples go find him. And he is like, hey, we're not going back into town. Jesus could have been uh, pulled back into Capernaum and spent the rest of his ministry there, really. I mean, there was, it, was, it was a lot going on. Uh, he could have been sidetracked by the need, and he could have been sidetracked by the success, but he wasn't. And last week, we talked about how to not get sidetracked by those things. And if you missed the message last week, I want to encourage you to go back and watch that message. Um, in fact, catch every single one of these messages because they all build on each other. And uh, it's just really, really good life application stuff. So Jesus in leaves Capernaum. He goes around from city to city. We don't know exactly how long he's doing that, but he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's preaching. He's He's uh, casting out demons and, and traveling. And, uh, and one day, this guy comes up to him. And he, he's got a problem. He's got leprosy. And we're going to start in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40 today. So if you brought your Bible, and I hope you did, paper Bible's best because you can write in it. Uh, open it up to Mark chapter 1. This is our sixth week in Mark chapter 1. Although we'll be going into two, so don't worry about it. We're going to... We're going to cross over here in a moment. But it says this. It says, a man with leprosy came to him. Now, leprosy is an interesting disease. In biblical times, it was an umbrella diagnosis for a skin disease, but very prevalent during their time was actual leprosy. Leprosy is known today as Hansen's disease. It was discovered in 1873 by Dr. Amur. Hansen, um, and not discovered, I mean, we knew it was around, but he kind of figured out what caused it. It was a bacterial infection. And, and Hansen's disease, you get a bacterial infection in your, in your body, and it attacks the nerves in your fingers, in your, in your extremities, your ears, your nose. Uh, it, they'll begin to deform. Uh, you lose feeling and sensation. And people will eventually die from leprosy, but not really from leprosy. They'll die because they can't feel anything and they'll, you know, they'll cut their foot or their finger or whatever and not even know it and end up with an infection and they usually die of infection. Um, or at least they did back then. Jesus, uh, the, the, in Jesus' day, it was, they called it leprosy, but it was kind of most skin disorders fell into that. But they knew enough, or God let them know, that this was a contagious, infectious disease. And so if you got leprosy, you kind of had to live a different life. You had to live outside of town. You had to stay away from people. 
And it says here uh, that the man with leprosy came to Jesus and he begged him on his knees. He gets down on his knees and he begs Jesus and he's going to beg Jesus to heal him. And my question at this point is why, is, why so desperate? Why is he begging Jesus to heal him? And the answer to that question is just what I said a moment ago. This, when you get this disease, you have to stand six feet away from everybody. And if they get within six feet of you, you have to yell, unclean, unclean, right? You can't, if anybody they touch is unclean for 24 hours, anything they touch is unclean for 24 hours. They can't really come into town. They can't see their kids. They can't see their family. They are isolated. They are the walking dead. Their life is over if they end up with this disease in the first century. This man is desperate, hasn't been able to watch his kids grow up, very lonely and isolated. He was, he was one of the untouchables. Now, I find it interesting that 3,000 years ago, God had a, a sense to, to let the people of Israel know that with an infectious disease, you know, that contagiousness is, is a real thing. You want to stand six feet apart. He actually, God actually told them to print up these little plastic dots and put them on the floor in the grocery store so they can stand six feet. You guys, that's, anyway. All right, so um, not really, but it's interesting that 3,000 years later, we're standing six feet apart, isn't it? <laughs> Anyway, nothing about face masks in there. I don't know what happened. But anyway, he heard about Jesus. He heard that there was a healer in town who, who could do something about the condition that he's in. He, he had a hope that he could get his life back. And that's why he's on his knees. And he says to Jesus, he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant, it says. He, he reached out his hand and he touched the man. He said, I am willing, he said. Be clean. If you're willing, if you're willing, Jesus says, I am willing. One of the things you have to understand about Jesus is that he, he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if there's one thing that's consistent about Jesus, and there are a lot of things that are consistent about Jesus, it's that he's willing. He is a willing Savior. He is not a reluctant Savior. He will reach into your life no matter where you've been, what you've done, no matter how untouchable you feel. And if we, you will come to him and say, Jesus, if you're, if you're willing, he will say, I am willing. Now, does that mean everybody with a, a disease gets healed? No, it doesn't mean that. Sometimes Jesus lets us live with, um, live with things. I remember the apostle Paul wrote about a... a um, a condition that he had, he called a thorn in his flesh, and he asked God to take it from him three times, and, and God basically said no, and he had to live with that, and Paul saw purpose in that in his life. I've seen that in my own life. I have seen God heal. God is powerful. Jesus is powerful. Jesus does heal, but he doesn't always heal. Sometimes there's a, there's a reason we carry what we carry. But he is always willing to reach in and touch our lives. He is always willing to reach in and heal our brokenness in our hearts. He's a willing Savior, not a reluctant. 
And it says, Jesus was indignant. Now, we're reading out of the New International Version of the Bible, and this is interpreted differently in different versions. Some, some versions say he was, he was moved with compassion, or he was moved in his innermost parts, or, or in this, this uh, particular translation, he was indignant. Now, indignant, righteous indignation is this sense of anger, right? He was it, in, in all of those cases, no matter how you read that particular passage, Jesus was not passive. He was not unconcerned. He was moved deeply. And if he was indignant, he was indignant that this man was dealing with the consequences of sin. Not his sin, but sickness is a result of the fall. It is a result of, of sin in our world and the degeneration of our world. And, and Jesus is indignant that this man has been separated from his family, that he is, his body's falling apart, that things aren't working, right? He's indignant that this man has had to live outside the city, outside and away from his family for so long. He's, he's indignant that this guy feels untouchable, broken, sick, isolated and lonely. And he's moved with compassion. He's moved with compassion for this man, for, the, for what he's had to deal with. And so when Jesus, I, I, I love this picture because sometimes we read these stories and we think, oh, and then Jesus did this, and then oh, Jesus did that. And, and we lose the emotion of what's going on in the moment. You know what I'm saying? And, but, but in this, Jesus was moved with passion for this man. And he reaches in. And he touches him, which is a big, big, hairy deal. He reached out his hand and touched the man, it says. This man's untouchable. Jesus didn't stay six feet away. Jesus broke, broke the rule, so to speak. Now, you could easily make the argument that what, what leprosy? Because he heals the guy, right? So he wasn't even, but, but But Jesus doesn't let that keep him from the man. And we see the compassion of Jesus on display in, in just a stunning way. And he says, I'm willing, be clean. I'm willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So we see a healing. Jesus, this is what Jesus does, right? Part of Jesus' ministry was healing. It wasn't, as we learned last week, it wasn't the reason he came, but it certainly was something that he did along the way. And it's an expression of the compassion of Jesus. Well, it says in verse 43, Jesus sent him away. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. See that you don't tell this to anyone. So Jesus gives him this warning. He says, I want you to keep this on the down low. And you remember, uh, if you were here last week, I talked about the fact that Jesus wanted the ability to travel around and preach and to go into the cities and preach. And the moment people find out there's a healer on the scene, it's going to turn into pandemonium and it's going to very much stifle his ability to do what he came to do. So he's like, I'm not going to not heal this guy. He begged me. I'm you know, compassion, all of that. But don't tell anybody. Just don't tell anybody, okay? And he tells him to go and see the priest. Uh, he says, but go, show, um, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. 
So back when Moses was leading the people of Israel, in the book of Leviticus, he gives them instructions on how to deal with skin diseases and leprosy. And what they're supposed to do is if someone is healed, which I'm sure didn't happen all that often, they're supposed to go to the priest because they, didn't ha- they couldn't go to the hospital because they didn't have one. They went to the priest and the priest would look at them and go, oh yeah, it looks all better. You know, do this sacrifice and then you can re-enter society. You can go back with your family. You can come to temple. You can go to synagogue. You can get a job. You can be around people. Like your life is completely changed, right? But you have to go to the priest. Find this in Leviticus 13 and 14. And that's what Jesus tells them to do. But don't tell anybody. Don't tell, please, don't tell anybody. In verse 45, it says a very profound word. In fact, I want you to circle, underline, get your highlighter out and highlight this word. This is, this is the word. You ready? Instead. Instead. He went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. Uh-oh but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Jesus is hanging out now in lonely places outside of towns because this guy decided that he wanted to do something else instead. I have a feeling that Jesus' compassion probably turned to indignation. I don't know. Um, But, you know, he thought he knew better. He probably thought, well, Jesus, I know you did not tell anybody, but I'm going, to tell, I'm going to be your best PR guy. I'm going to tell everybody, and they're all going to want to be around you. Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not what we're doing. I have a different plan. No, I'm going to tell everybody. Instead, guys, this is our issue, too. Instead is our issue, too. Because Jesus clearly tells us to do some things and not to do some other things in, his, in, the, in the Word, doesn't he? He tells us how to live our lives in his word. And then he'll speak things to us as well along the way. And how often do we go, yeah, instead, I think I'm going to do this. You know, I, I, Jesus is like, I've given you some, some, not just guidelines, but this is how you do business with integrity. You do business with so much integrity that it hurts sometimes because you're going to lose the deal or you're going to lose money on the deal, but you don't go back on your handshake, right? But instead, I think I'm going to cut this corner here. Or I'm, I didn't say that. I don't remember saying that. You know, Jesus, God lays out very clearly how we're supposed to treat our spouses, how we're supposed to mutually submit to one another and love one another above ourselves. But instead, yeah, that was written a long time ago. The Bible lays out very clearly how we're supposed to conduct ourselves sexually in the context of marriage. It's a dusty old document. Instead, this is what I want to do. And that's where the rub is, isn't it? The tension is always between God's plan and our desires. We want what we want more than we want what God wants. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus had a good plan. And his plan works. He made us. He designed us. He knows how life is supposed to work. 
And one of the things, if you are a follower of his, that you need to get through your head and into your heart is that his plan is better than your plan. Because when you start wanting what he wants more than you want what you want, life changes. And you stop saying instead. Because instead creates problems for him, but it creates even more problems for you. Well, Jesus, after this encounter with this, this leper a few days later, he, he tries to go back into Capernaum and we'll try an evening of ministry in Capernaum. So in Mark 2, verse 1, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Capernaum, again, his home base, he seems to come back there. We probably comes back and stays at Peter's house. We don't know for sure. But he keeps coming back to Capernaum. So he comes into Capernaum, and it's pandemonium. It says, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So Jesus, Jesus comes back. They live in these family compounds, right, these, these houses, these house complexes where it's all the extended family and everybody else. And, and so Jesus is inside that, the complex, and people from all over the town show up. They're packing into the house. House is full. They're piled 10 deep in the street. Nobody can get to Jesus. exactly what he was concerned about. Um, and uh, he preaches the word to them. And it says, then some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now, I'm going to call our, our paralyzed guy Peyton, paralyzed Peyton. All right. And, uh, and there's some things I'm, gonna, I'm going to editorialize a little bit here because we don't know a lot about Peyton. We don't know a lot about the people who brought him. But I think there's some things that we can kind of assume, uh, one of which in their culture People who were uh, paralyzed or had handicaps or, or chronic illnesses like that were considered cursed. They were considered, it was considered the result of their sin or their parents' sin. Um, they were considered cursed by God. They kind of just were put in a back room and that's where they lived their life. They didn't go out. Nobody even really knew that they were there. So I think one of the things we can assume about Peyton is that these are not his friends because Peyton wouldn't have had any friends. It's probably... And again, this isn't in the scripture. I'm, I'm just kind of speculating here. It's probably Peyton's brother. Maybe it's four of his brothers or his brother and some friends that he recruited who care about Peyton and want to see Peyton get better. And they believed that Jesus could do it. They'd heard the stories. And what if? What if Peyton's legs could work again? And it says, since they could not get to him, or get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and they lowered the mat the man was, was lying on. All right, so let me break this down for a second. So they get there. People are piled back, you know, 10 people deep outside the door. There's no way they're getting in to see Jesus. And, uh, and they're like, what are we, we going to do? And uh, one of them looks up and says, hey, there's nobody up on the roof. Now, this is not uncommon. Like in our, our day and age, in our roofs, we, nobody would go up on the roof and dig a hole in the roof. But back then, they used their roof as an outdoor living area. They had these, they, they were stone and mud-covered adobe type. Uh, and we know this from archaeological digs in the region. Um, there's these stone buildings, and then they would 
flat roof, they'd put some logs across the roof, and then they would uh, put thatch down, and then mud, and then thatch, and mud, and they'd let it bake in the sun, and it was, a, it was this outdoor living area. About eight months out of the year, they would have dinner up there after the sun went down because the building had been baking in the sun all day, and it was just too hot to be inside. So they'd go up there, and they'd have dinner in the cool of the evening. They would sleep up there sometimes. This particular time of year, they're inside, and there's nobody on the roof. And so they go up the steps on the side of the building, which would have been there to access the out, that outdoor living area. They get up on the roof. They're like, ah, Jesus is about, I don't know, maybe he's here. And they start tearing through the roof. It's bold. It's bold. If I were the owner, I would be a little put, up, put out by that. And then Jesus is inside, and he's teaching, right? Now, as a teacher, I can teach through... You know, a, a mama trying to get a crying baby out of, out of the service. And, you know, it's a couple seconds of, oh, got to get this baby out of here. You know, I can, I, can, I can teach through that. Or if somebody forgot to turn off their cell phone and it rings a couple times while they're going, oh, where's my phone? I can, I can teach through that. But a hole in the roof? I don't think so. I mean, there's stuff falling down. Everybody, and I think at this point, everybody's going, what is going on? They tear and they, somebody sticks their head down in there. Hey, there they are. And they lower Peyton down in front of Jesus. And it says this in verse 5. I want you to underline this, the first five words here. When Jesus saw their faith, and circle the word there, because this is gold. He said to the, the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And I think Peyton's going, I didn't really come for my sins. I, it's legs. It's legs, Jesus. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. See, paralyzed Peyton most likely didn't have any desire to be there. In fact, he was probably embarrassed because he was cursed, you know, like, don't take me in front of the whole town. But they're like, no, 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 we're getting you fixed. We're going. And, um, and, uh, but his brother and his brother's friends or his brothers, whoever they, they were, they believed that Jesus could heal Peyton. And Jesus saw their faith. Now this challenges our theology a little bit, doesn't it? Because if you are a, if you are a follower of Jesus, you understand that if, you know, your grandmother's faith can't save you, right? You, you, you don't get into heaven because your mama was a Christian or whoever else. But I think what we're seeing is what we see today as well. And that's this. God will use and look at other people's faith to bring us to the point of salvation. Does it all the time. Does it all the time. Because if you think about it, before you became a Christian, if you are a Christian, before you became, you didn't have faith. It was somebody else's faith. They, they prayed for you. They invited you to church. They believed that if you could just get some time with Jesus, he'd change your life. And Jesus is moved by faith. We see that over and over again through the Gospels. And he is moved by the faith of people. And he sees the faith of these men that carried this, this guy and lo ripped a hole in the roof and lowered him down. Clearly they had faith that Jesus could, could and would do something. And Jesus sees their faith and he is moved by their faith. And he says to Peyton, your sins are forgiven. Now, long term, Peyton's salvation, his relationship with God is going to be based on his faith in Jesus. But getting there 
That was others. And I think God does the same thing today. Guys, this is why we are God's rescue plan. You know, if, if you've been praying for somebody forever and they haven't come to faith yet, and you're like, I don't know if this is doing any good. Or if you've been having conversations with people at work forever or, or inviting people to church, for, don't ever stop. And don't ever stop believing that God can. And man, if people would spend some time with Jesus, he will change their life. And God will look at your faith and do a miracle in somebody's life. God wants to use you and your faith to save others. Don't ever forget that. Well, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And for Jesus, the condition of his soul was way more important than the condition of his legs. Because his soul is eternal. Legs, that's a temporary issue. And on the timeline of eternity, whatever we deal with in this life is very, very short. Jesus has an eternal perspective. He takes care of first things first, doesn't he? Your sins are forgiven. And it says, um, now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, and you know, cue the... Uh, the stormtrooper music, dun, 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 dun. the teachers, they aren't, that, they aren't those guys yet. Just so you know, we're, we're really early in the story. We're only in the second chapter. They haven't figured out what they believe about Jesus yet. They're just listening and watching what's going on and hearing what Jesus is saying, and they're asking questions. So they're not the bad guys yet. They will be. Don't worry, we'll get there. But they're not yet. They haven't decided that they don't like Jesus. But they're asking questions. And... Um, so now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Now, blaspheming, blasphemy is just talking in, irre in an irreverent way about God or, or an impious manner about God. And Jesus, is they're like, he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be God. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're right. They're absolutely right. And so they're, they're asking this question, who are you, Jesus? <laughs> all silently, all up here in the, in, the, in the brain as the wheels are spinning, like, he can't do that. That's blasphemy, right? But they didn't say anything out loud, but Jesus, of course, knows what they're thinking. And it says immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now let me answer this question for you. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. It's totally easier because you don't have to do anything to back that up. There's no way that you, you can't see whether that was an effective statement or not. Jesus could say that. Oh, absolutely, your sins are forgiven. If he says, get, you know, pick up your mat and walk, now he's got, he's got a lot to deal with because if the guy doesn't pick up his mat and walk, Jesus loses all credibility. He's setting them up. He says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, and Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. If you read through all four Gospels, he refers to himself as the Son of Man 83 times. Now, he's referring to a very specific passage found in the book of Daniel in chapter 7. And um, it's a passage about the Messiah who would come. This is something that 
all the educated people in their community, all the religiously educated, which would be a lot of people, would know that Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God or the, you know, the Messiah who was to come. So Jesus sets this up. What is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say pick up your mat and walk? But in the middle, he drops this, the Son of Man. And I want to read this passage from Daniel. It's in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. If you, you have your Bibles, you can turn there. It says, as I looked, and this is, this is <coughs> excuse me, let me back up. Daniel is a prophet who lived in exile in Babylon. And um, so many things that we could learn from Daniel and probably will someday be a great sermon series, but not for today. But Daniel had this prophetic vision of a time that would come in the Messiah who would be, and this is what it says. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days, being, being God, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair on his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were ablaze. A, fire, a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. And then he says, then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. This is all prophetic, visionary, uh, or a vision uh, of, of a future that is to come. And he says, the other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. Verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Not like an angelic creature, not like a heavenly being, but one who looked like a human being, the son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And this is what he says about him. He approached the Ancient of Days. He approached God and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus said, what is easier, to say your sins are forgiven? Oh, by the way, I'm the son of man, and get up, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus confirms two things here. But right now he's saying, this is who I am. This is who I am. Jesus says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, and he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus, Jesus drops the mic and walks off the stage. I mean, it's bam. I can forgive sins. I have that authority, and I have all this other authority, too, because I'm this guy. And I'm going to show you that I'm this guy because I am going to heal this guy's legs. This is the beginning of the story, guys. This, this is what the religious leaders will eventually have to wrestle with. They have a lot to lose in the big picture because they have set themselves up with the Romans 
They have power, they have control, they are enriching themselves, and Jesus shows up and starts challenging, challenging them in that they don't like that, and eventually they will decide that they don't like Jesus. But right now, they're just trying to figure out who he is, and he told them plainly who he was, and then he showed them. And then he showed them. Jesus says, so you know that I can forgive sins, so you know that I'm the one the prophets wrote about. So you know that God and I are on the same level. Get up and walk. And he does. And shockwaves go through the whole community. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't leave that night. Jesus didn't leave the option open of, oh, oh he's a really good teacher. <laughs> he claimed to be God. And then he backed it up. And this is the beginning of the story. We're at the beginning of chapter two. I'm so excited, it's gonna be a great series. <laughs> but Jesus knew this man's greatest need, right? He knew his greatest need wasn't healing, it wasn't his legs working. His greatest need is your greatest need, forgiveness. It's peace with God. It's a relationship with your heavenly Father. It is the greatest need in every human being whether you're aware of it yet or not. And Jesus is not a reluctant forgiver. He's not a reluctant savior. He's waiting for you to come to him and say, Jesus, if you're willing, and he is. You know, our legs are temporary. Our souls are eternal. And what Jesus invites every human being, every person within the sound of my voice right now to do is to come to him and say, Jesus, I need forgiveness. I need a new life. I want, I choose now what you want over what I want. I'm not going to say instead, I'm just going to follow. And when we choose that and when we choose him, he reaches out his hand and he touches us and he heals us in the deep places of our soul. And that's your biggest need. It's my biggest need. And I just want to give every one of us an opportunity today to do some business with Jesus. And if you need a touch from him, if you need to surrender your life to him, if you need to experience that forgiveness, just pray with me right now. Let's close our eyes our heads, say something like this. Say, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. Would you forgive my sin? Would you come and live in my life? Would you lead me? I choose, I choose you. And teach me how to follow you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.